Good morning, everyone. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Amen. Amen. You know, there's one of those wonderful things that happens when you're a part of a strong New Testament church that it seems like Sunday after Sunday you find yourself saying, I am grateful to God for the body of believers around us. And I am grateful for you all. You all know I consider it an unbelievable privilege to be able to serve here at Sherwood. Love you all. Love this church. Love everything that God is doing here. It's exciting. So we are studying the moments when Jesus was teaching the 12 disciples about prayer. And last week we began with what's kind of considered the granddaddy of all New Testament prayers. That is, it's often been referred to as the model prayer or the disciples prayer or the Lord's prayer. And in that particular prayer, Jesus shows us a pattern for praying. And that is, he encourages us to pray God first, another second, and then me third. And this morning, we are going to tackle the topic of persistent prayer. There are multiple times throughout the gospel when Jesus goes through and he tells his disciples and instructs them on the importance of persisting or enduring or continuing to pray even when you run into obstacles, even when things get difficult. Now, if you're like me, persistence is maybe not always a strong suit in your life. Uh, persistence is broadly defined as continuing despite problems or being unrelenting. And I have found in my life that there are certain areas that I am very persistent in, and then there's other areas that I lack persistence at any particular level. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples just from my life so that you will know what I'm talking about. So this is a scene that happens almost monthly in our house. I'm looking for a snack in the evening time. Actually, that doesn't have monthly. That's like regularly right there. But what I'm talking about is going to be monthly here. So I'm searching for a snack in the evening. And I go to the pantry and I open the thing up. And unless that snack is sitting at eye level, completely unobstructed, with a spotlight on it, I don't see it. Now, granted, I can spot two deer a quarter of a mile away behind the brush at dusk. But for some reason, I have a hard time looking for my own snacks. So what does any husband do in that moment? They ask their wife. So I'll say, Bria, where are the cookies? And she'll say, they're in the pantry. Where? Right in front. I don't see them. Look harder. <laughs> Still don't see them. I'll be there in a moment. And Bria will walk in, stand right where I'm at, in 1.3 milliseconds, look down, and hand me the cookies. And every time it happens, I'm surprised. Like, every time I'm like, I have her this time. Like, they are not where she thought they were going to be. It's completely surprising to me. Now, when Bria's not around, I will go to the pantry half a dozen times a night, just open it up, stare hopelessly, close it, and walk on. So I've just noticed over the years that there are certain things that I am not persistent in. But let me give you a way that the snack situation changes. If Bria hides a snack from me, and she does, as you can hear, uh, apparently 
you get a reputation if you take your wife's favorite snack and eat it while she's not around. You get a reputation for that. Now, if she hides a snack from me, I will turn the house upside down for three hours to find that snack. It's a game at that point. When it was just me against the snack, that's not a very fun game. When it's me against Bria and the snack is my reward, I'm in it to win it at that point. Okay, some areas of my life, I have zero persistence. Some, I have a lot of persistence. If you're talking about wrestling with a difficult text in Scripture, I've got a lot of persistence. If you're talking about writing out pieces of vision or strategy for ministries, or if you're talking about praying for my wife and my daughters, I can keep going and going and going. It doesn't matter the problems. I've got great persistence in those areas, but not in all areas. I just really have to want something. Persistence is one of those things that's a fantastic quality in life because it's absolutely instrumental in habit formation, learning new things, playing sports, life in general. But one of the things that we find in Luke chapter 11 is Jesus shows us that persistence is incredibly valuable when we pray. You've heard me say it before. God often responds in proportion to how we seek him. There is something that God honors in faithful, repetitive, I'm coming back to you again. I'm coming back again. I'm going to keep pressing in with God in prayer. God honors a faithful persistence within our prayers. Now, here's the challenge that we're up against. By nature, people are inherently pragmatic. We do things that we think works. If we think diet and exercise are working, it's a little bit easier to keep doing them. Likewise, if we think prayer is working, it's a little bit easier to keep on praying. But when you find yourself in one of those moments where you have prayed and prayed and prayed, and not only does it seem like God's silent, but it almost seems like the circumstances are going in the opposite direction of what you're praying about. And you keep coming back to God and you pray again and again. And it goes the opposite direction. In those moments, pragmatism many times will say, just stop praying, probably not God's will, and we move on. We need persistence when we pray. So here's our key truth that we're going to unpack this morning. God uses persistent prayer to accomplish his work around us and deepen his work in us. God uses persistent prayer to accomplish his work around us as well as deepen his work in us. What if God is delaying the answer to that particular request in order to orchestrate the circumstances that are needed to support the very thing you're praying for? What if God is delaying the answer so that he can teach you more about himself and more about you pursuing him? What if God is delaying the answer in order to prepare your heart for what that answer is going to be? Whenever God says, wait, there's a reason that comes with the waiting. But it's in that waiting, it's in that season of silence that it's so easy for us to say, maybe God is not listening. Maybe this is not God's will. Maybe I just need to abandon this idea and move on. And what I want you to see this morning more than anything is when you're in that moment and you're about to walk away and you're about to give up, 
That's the time you don't walk away. That's the time you bear in even harder in that moment. That's the time you go back to the word of God and what Jesus has to say. That's the time we need persistence within our prayers. So what if Jesus gives some instructions to his disciples that can help us become more persistent when we pray? What if there's a couple of principles here that begin to reshape the way we look at that particular moment? What if God provides in his word everything we need to keep moving forward in persistence? Here's the good news. He does. God's word contains the answers we need. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today to Luke's gospel chapter number 11. Luke's gospel chapter number 11. We will be in verses 5 through 13. In the past 23 years of being a pastor, I have taught probably three, maybe four times on the subject of persistence in prayer or enduring in prayer or keeping pressing in to God in prayer. And I cannot tell you how many times I go back into those same texts, I open it up, and I realize how much I forgot since the last time I was there. This is one of those topics that we need on repeat in our Christian journey. We need to go back to it because it's so easy for us to lose heart and to give up right at the moment when God's about to bring a breakthrough. So look at what it says, Luke's Gospel, chapter number 11. I'm speaking this morning on persistent prayer. Here's what it says, starting in verse number 5 and following. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door's already been shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, beep, 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 keyword, because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Verse 11, now suppose one of you fathers is asked of his son for a fish He'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word, may your spirit guide us into truth. God, may this text come alive in a way that not only resonates with hearts, but God keeps those people right now who are at the edge and about to give up. God, may it keep them pressing in with you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So persistence is broadly defined as continuing despite problems or being unrelenting. So let's put that in context. We're talking about prayer. What about prayer would require us to be persistent or unrelenting 
or what problems or issues would we run into in prayer that would cause us to need to get the teachings that Jesus is providing in this text. So here's just a couple of those thoughts. Uh, One of those problems is our minds tend to wander when we pray. So many times it's hard to keep on praying because you feel like, I'm just wasting my time. I can't even be focused when I'm praying. Here's another issue. Sometimes we drift in and out of consciousness when we pray. If you're one of those types of people that you're like, the first thing that I want to do in the morning is spend time with God in prayer. And you start like this in your bed, and you wake up 15 minutes later. Okay, you just fell asleep on God. Sometimes we drift in and out of consciousness when we pray. That's an issue. Sometimes we struggle to find the right words that do not sound trite or insincere. Sometimes we don't know how to pray in a situation or what we need to pray for in that situation. Sometimes we struggle to find the faith to pray because the last time we brought a really big need to God, it seemed like God was silent and you've not seen change in that area yet. And sometimes you're just wondering, should I keep praying if that's what is happening when I pray? There's certain problems that we run into that require us to be persistent. Now on top of those problems that I just mentioned, if God doesn't seem like he's answering, or if God seems aloof and disconnected, or if God doesn't seem to step in immediately, it's extremely easy for a person to say, I guess it's not God's will, I just need to move on and do something else. Now we have to stop and ask a simple question, but it's one I think a lot of Christians haven't stopped to ask. Here's your question. What is the purpose of prayer? Think about it for just a moment. What is the purpose of prayer? Is the purpose of prayer to get something from God or get God to step in and change things? Is is the purpose of prayer like I have a need, God can meet the need, and prayer requires that need? So it's almost like people look at prayer as need acquisition. Is the ultimate purpose of prayer about getting something from God? Or is it also possible that prayer incorporates God showing us a greater dependence on him? God bringing us to a place of understanding our limitations. God working in our character and addressing things that we weren't willing to listen to otherwise. Is another purpose of prayer God realigning our understanding about what are needs versus wants? Is there a part of prayer that God is bringing us into a deeper level of intimacy with him? The the answer is that prayer incorporates all of those different things. And this story is great because it shows this broad picture of what God is doing in the context of prayer. So in verses 1 through 4, that's the model prayer. That's what we just went through this last week. Starting now in verse number 5, Jesus says, Suppose one of you has a friend. Everything that's happening behind this word suppose is Jesus illustrating the point that he's just made. Now, Jesus just taught a pattern when you pray, verses 1 through 4. Now he wants us to understand why you can trust the pattern, verses 5 through 13. So this is a continuation of what he has just taught. So here's the story that we get to. That is, there's a friend who shows up at a a person's house unexpectedly at midnight, And in that culture, it didn't matter whether or not 
it was a trip that was planned or if it was a trip that was unexpected. It was expected that you would house and you would feed travelers. So this individual is now showing up at a person's house. He doesn't have food. So he goes to his neighbor and he asks his neighbor for three loaves of bread. And inside the house, this neighbor gives some lame excuse about the fact it's late, the door's locked, everybody's asleep, yada, yada, yada. Sorry, we can't give you any bread. Now, my thought is when I read this, like, you need to be praying for a new neighbor because that dude sounds like a jerk. Like, man, get up and give him some bread right there. But listen, context is always helpful. Don't jump to conclusions without context. That's a good word for life in general. Don't jump to conclusions without context. Here's the context. Many homes in the first century in that area were one-room homes. The family would lie on mats, usually around a charcoal stove in the center of the home. Oftentimes, if it's a one-room home, people didn't have much. And a way to make sure that when you woke up the next day, somebody had not taken your one goat or your two chickens is they would bring the livestock in with them as well. So in the middle of the night, it could easily be that you've got the entire family in one room and you've got your goats and you've got a chicken or two and you've got a cow maybe and somebody knocking at your door all of a sudden sends everything into a flurry of activity. Now when I know that, I'm mad at the other guy at this point. I'm like, why are you going to go bother a brother in the middle of the night, man? I mean, you're going to wake his babies up and his chickens are going to start running around and roosters crowing. That's not cool, man. Just keep some food at your house. So I can be equally offended on either side of this story. I don't think that's a spiritual gift of mine. It's just the way my mind processes things. But So context is helpful. Now look at what happens in verse 8. I tell you, though, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The neighbor will not get up for friendship, but will get up for persistence. Now here's another moment that we got to stop and be really careful that we don't miss the point that Jesus is making. It is very easy at this moment to look at this and say, it sounds like we have to beat God's door down to get him to answer prayers. That is not what Jesus is teaching. Some parables would teach by comparison. Others teach by contrast. So some parables teach a truth about God that is being compared with a truth from everyday life. So if we understand the everyday truth by way of comparison, we now understand this truth about God. Other parables teach by contrast. There's a truth about God that is being contrasted with a truth from everyday life. So the point of this parable is not to compare the two and say they're exactly the same. The point here is to contrast the two and say they could not be more different. Jesus is not saying God is like the selfish man in bed. He doesn't care about your predicament. He doesn't want to be concerned about your problems. The relationship does not matter to him. You're just going to have to wear him down with your persistence for him to answer your prayers. That's not what Jesus is saying. Here's what he is saying. By contrast, if an earthly friend responds to your needs in annoyance, 
think of how much more your loving Heavenly Father responds in love. If your relationship with your friend does not matter on earth, rest assured your relationship with the Father matters in heaven. He's given a contrast between the two. In fact, we understand that we don't have to badger God to get his attention. He is not aloof. He is not pushing us away. It's not that he is unwilling to help. In fact, in Isaiah 65, 24, it says, Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Now, if God has the ability to know what's on our heart before we speak, and he has the ability to begin answering before it's even verbalized. We need to understand that about his nature. So here's my thing. If God can do anything, and he can, he's sovereign. If he can say now and give us exactly what is in alignment with his will, why is it that God often chooses to let us walk a path of persistence? What is it about the journey that he's teaching us here. That brings us back to our key truth. God uses persistent prayer to accomplish his work around us and deepen his work in us. So when I say accomplish his work around us, here's a couple of thoughts on that. It's through persistent prayer that God often shows us our limitations. It's through persistent prayer that we often find ourselves joining together with other believers because they're praying with us and God uses persistence and prayer over a certain need to build community and to bring a group of believers together on a faith journey. He uses persistence in that, but he also uses persistence and prayer to deepen his work inside of us. So what does that look like? Here, here's the points, and this is where we spend the bulk of our time. When we persist in prayer, God deepens our understanding of prayer. When you persist in prayer, it deepens our understanding of prayer. Did you know the more you pray, the more you understand about prayer? You can read a hundred books on prayer and not pray, and you walk away with head knowledge without experiencing God in prayer. But you can spend that same time on your knees in prayer, and I almost guarantee you it'll teach you what those hundred books were also trying to say. There's something that we learn by simply praying. Prayer is not about conquering God's reluctance or prayer is not about wearing God down or winning God over or weakening God's resolve. God uses persistent prayer to deepen our understanding of prayer. Now, you've heard it said before that there's at least three different ways God can answer our prayers. God can say, yes, you can have what you've requested now. And quite honestly, that's usually the only answer we're looking for. Or God can say, yes, you can have what you've requested, but you're going to have to wait. How many of you know waiting and patience is also not a strong suit of humanity? But it's in the waiting many times that God is preparing us so that the answer is the blessing we desire it to be. And there's a third way that God can respond. He can say no. What you've requested is not what you need. It is not wise. It is not my best. It is not my will. And no is a legitimate answer to prayer. In every one of those, the answer has our best and God's glory in mind. God is 
in a position where when we trust him with those things, we might not know, is this best, is this his will? But in God's response, we understand what is best and what is his will. So if we don't see God give that immediate yes, here's how God has just wired humanity. We are unbelievably curious. When you want something and you don't get it, here's the first question. Why? Why not? It is, why, why have you not given me this? Is this not your will? Is there sin in my life that I don't know about? Are you protecting me from something that I don't even understand right now? Like there's a curiosity side of us that when God says no or God says wait, it causes us to press in and ask different questions. Many times we go back to a grid of questions that are helpful in understanding whether or not this is of God. So here's just a couple of questions that are a part of that grid. That is one of the first ones is ask this question, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a disciple? Now, Here's the reason I bring this up. Verse 1 says, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Verse number 2, and Jesus said to them, everything we're reading is in the context of a disciple in Christ. You all know that it is possible for somebody to be an admirer of Jesus' teachings and not a follower of Christ. They can have a form of religion and not have relationship with him. When a person is in that state, God is under no obligation to answer those other prayers. That main prayer, that most important thing is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, sometimes out of God's grace, he might answer prayers, but they're often leading people back to the ultimate thing of knowing him as Lord and Savior. So a first place, it's always good if a person's not sure, is to say, do I know without a doubt that I have a personal relationship with God, that I am a follower of Jesus. Here's another one. Am I living in obedience to God? 1 John 3, it says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. There is nothing like a delayed answer to prayer for us to go back and say, God, is there sin in my life I don't know about? Did you know that's not a bad thing? That's a good thing. It's a part of keeping our repentance up to date. Here's another question that we often ask. Are my motives right? Over in James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. God is under no obligation to indulge the selfish desires of his kids. If our request is selfish in nature, that might be a reason why he's saying no or not right now. And another one is, am I praying in submission to God's will? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, this is the confidence that we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Here's why I bring that up. Did you know many times we don't want to know God's will when we pray? We would rather God adjust to our will, but sometimes we don't want to know his will. Sometimes we even know that it's not God's will, but we're hoping he's going to let it slide. 
sometimes it's important to go back and ask these questions. Say, God, is there something between myself and you that is causing delay here? Here's the next one. When we persist in prayer, God deepens our intimacy with him. This is found in verses 9 and 10. The verbs ask, seek, and knock, they are all present active imperatives. That speaks of a habitual or lifestyle commands. It is that we are to keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking over the course of our Christian journey. Now, those words not only reveal persistence, they also reveal a progression here. Here's what I mean by that. The word ask is used in Scripture of asking for gifts or asking for things. The word seek is often used for seek after or seek for God. So it's used in Deuteronomy 4, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 65 in that way. So put them together and think of it like this. When we persist in asking God for things, we learn to seek after God. We learn to seek his face and seek his desires and seek his will. By persisting in prayer, something even more incredible happens. That is, as you are spending additional time with God in prayer and you go back to him again and again and again, here's what happens. The more time you spend with God, the more you get to know God. And the more you get to know God, the more you love God. So it's in the process of persistent prayer that God has actually given us something more than whatever that specific need is. He has given us something even greater. He's given us intimacy with him. Now that now brings us to this last word, knock. The word knock is used of someone requesting admission to dwell in or set up their abode with someone. When we continually ask God for a need and seek God, to know him deeply and knock before God to dwell with him and set up our abode with him, it all leads to greater levels of intimacy. God uses persistence in prayer in order to give us one of the greatest needs that many times we have chosen not to ask him for. God, help me to know you more. Next one. When we persist in prayer, God deepens our trust of God's character. Now notice the contrast that we find in verses 11 through 13. It says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's the situation. If earthly dads refuse to trick their kids in a way that hurts them, we need to pause there for a moment. Because you know as well as I do, part of being a dad is you get a fun time tricking and playing with your kids. But not necessarily on the side of hurting them. So if your child comes up and says, would you give me an egg and you drop a scorpion in their hand, that's not cool. That can hurt them. Okay? So in this... If an earthly father is not going to do something to trick and hurt their child, if they're not going to mock their request, how much more would our lovingly heavenly father do even above and beyond that? 
You see, many of our problems that we come to in prayer, it's not about the principles of prayer. It's not that we don't know what we should know. A lot of it comes back to our perception of who God is. If we think God is mad with us all the time, I guarantee you, you won't pray as much as you can. If you think God's upset every time you bring the same need back, you will be tentative about bringing that need back. If you think God's not listening or that God does not answer your prayers, it's going to impact the way that you pray. But if you believe that God is a loving Heavenly Father that delights in the prayers of his kids, that he has my best interest in mind, that he is always there and wants to listen, it's going to change the way I pray. So look at what it says in verses 5 through 13. We've seen the flow now. Here's what he's wanting us to see. You can trust your heavenly father. He, he gave us the pattern, seek God first. Here's why we can seek God first. You can trust your father. Ask and he will give. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. He is not a selfish friend that is unwilling to help. He is not an evil father who is out to harm you. You are not bothering him with your prayers. You are blessing him with your persistence. Keep on praying. That brings us to the last point. When we persist in prayer, God deepens our understanding of good. I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray right now. And here's why I want to pray. If we get this, this will free up your prayer life. I don't know if you all have sensed it. The more I preach in prayer, the more the room gets locked down. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Would you remove any spirit other than your Holy Spirit in this place? I am praying for ears to hear. I'm praying for hearts to desire your word. God, I am praying that you would give us unbelievable clarity about what this point is about to be. And Lord, may you radically change prayer lives because of what you do, because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When we persist in prayer, God deepens our understanding of good. Now, you know that there's four different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of them will often give the same story, but it comes at it from a different perspective. And when you put the same pieces together, the same story with all four gospel writers, there's nuance and there's pieces and understanding. So in this, when when Matthew chapter 7 addresses that same piece, ask, seek, and knock, it says, if you then be an evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Question, what's good? What's good? Somebody might say, well, Paul, that depends on the person you're asking. It's based on a person's perception. No, it's not. Good is good because God declares it to be so. God defines what is good. Now, if we don't have that perspective, then we're going to miss a lot of this. So I don't know if you remember the story. It's over in Mark chapter 10. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And if you remember, Jesus did not begin by saying, thank you so much for calling me good. Man, that's an encouragement to me. You're asking the right question. Here's what you need. Instead, he challenges his understanding of good. 
He starts there. He says, why do you call me good? In other words, hey, homie, before you start talking about good, throwing that term around like you know what you're talking about, you don't. So we're going to start there. Why do you call me good? He challenges our understanding of good. A text that we go to a lot, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, when problems are happening, God works all things together for good. We love that passage. But here's the reason it's hard in prayer. Because if you're defining good from your perspective and not his, when his answer comes, you will not see it as being a good gift from God. But when you see the connection happen, all of a sudden you recognize God's good is good because he declared it to be so. Think back to the growth moments in your life. How many of you grew the most when you're on the mountaintop? Or how many of you grew the most when you're down in the valley? When you're down in the trials, when you're down in the problems, it's in those areas that all of a sudden God begins to teach you things about who he is and his nature and his character and the word of God comes alive in your heart. And when those things are happening, all of a sudden you look back and say, I wouldn't want to go through that again, but I praise God for what I learned in the process. Had you not gone through what you went through, you would not know what you know today about God. So his good is often packaged in trials, in pain, in pressure, in problems, because it's in those times that he sifts out of our life what is not of him, and he fills us more with himself. It's in those moments when you go to God and say, God, I don't know what you want to do in this place, and he seems silent. You come back the next day and say, God, I still don't know what to do. And you keep coming to him, and it builds intimacy with God. God's good is always good, whether we recognize it or not. This is the reason this is so powerful for us. In this moment, it is no coincidence whatsoever that now we come into Luke, and Luke, he says, he replaces good gift with Holy Spirit. Okay, think of this. This is beautiful. That is God sent his spirit, his Holy Spirit, the preeminent example of what is a good gift coming down from God. And now he's saying, if an earthly father who's evil gives good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father get good gifts to those who ask? And he says, and gives the Holy Spirit. In other words, if he gave you the Holy Spirit, do you think he's holding back something better? You see where this is at? Listen, this is a faith-building moment. When your heavenly father is saying, you're going to need to wait, that's where you say, God, your good is always good. I don't understand it, but your good is good. When it seems like God is taking you through the fires, and you're like, God, why is this happening to me? There's a refining that's taking place in that person's life. And on the other side of what God's doing, you're going to look back and say, that was good. But here's the thing, you got to stick with the journey. You got to keep on praying. You got to keep coming back. How many moments in eternity will we be able to look back and see these were the gifts that God was desiring to give, and yet we tapped out and walked away before we got to that point? Keep praying. Keep praying.
I don't know where everybody's at in this room. I know there's things in my life I've been praying for for over 20 years right now. I know that there's people, there's husbands and wives that they've been praying for their kids, the grandparents praying for their grandkids. There's people that have been praying for healing in a person's life. They've been praying that God would restore a relationship. And they're at a point right now where they're wondering, like, is it worth it? Yes. Keep praying. Keep praying. I just had a man come to me this morning and said he prayed for a situation for eight years. And along the way, he gave up. And when God gave the answer to his prayer, he looks back and he was like, keep telling him about persistence in prayer. God is faithful. The issue is sometimes, if we're not careful, the devil can beat us over and over again and make us think our God is not good. Your God defines good. So here's how we close the service today. It might be some of you are in the room right now and you're saying, I am worn out by praying the same thing over and over again and it doesn't seem like God's answered. You might need somebody to pray with you this morning. It might be that there's people right now in the room that they're saying, I just came out of a season of this and I can testify God is faithful. Just keep praying. There might be some others that they'll say, God has answered so many requests over the decades of walking with him that in a moment you want to begin to pray for those people in the room that are struggling right now with persistence. So here's what I'm going to ask to have happen. If you would just bow your heads for just a moment. I'm going to have the pastors and, and counselors, if they would come forward, they're going to be taking their place at the front of each of these different rows. There's going to be some of the pastor's wives that are going to be with them. And in just a moment, we're going to open up this time of invitation, and it might be that you find yourself in a place that you say, I would love for somebody to help hold up my arms in prayer and pray with me in this. If that's the case, there's going to be pastors and pastor's wives who are down along the front. It might be that somebody's saying, I don't even know if i got a relationship with God yet. It begins with a relationship with him. Come talk to one of these pastors. They can share with you how it is that you can have a relationship with God. It might be that you've been trying to carry the burdens of prayer by yourself. You've been a spiritual nomad. You don't have a church home and you're wondering, is this the place for us? If you're thinking it might be, come talk to one of the pastors and let them help you in this. The invitation time is going to be open. There's going to be a song that is going to be sung over the crowd but I also want you to know this. I want to lead in a time of prayer for people who are weary in their prayers. So if you would just stand at this time. Stand at this time. I want to have a word of prayer. And as soon as I'm finished on this, I'm going to ask that the band would lead us in this song of worship. So here's, here's the prayer. If you're in a good place, if your prayer life is strong, if you're excited, I want you to be praying for people that are around you that might be going through a hard time. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're asking that you would break free those who have been bound by the lies of the enemy this morning. And those who are about to give up and those who are about to walk away, God, I pray that you would make them a testimony of grace that one day they will be able to testify, this is what my God has done for me. And it was painful, but it was still good. God, I'm praying this morning 
for people that have been walking through seasons of praying over their kids and praying for grandkids and praying for changes in our nation and praying for revival and awakening and praying that your spirit would move in a powerful way and they feel like I keep praying and things are going in the other ways and God, I'm asking today, would you allow it to be a day that we put a memorial stone down and say, we're going to keep persisting in prayer. We're not going to give up in prayer. God, I'm praying right now that your spirit would bring a freedom and a joy to those who are praying. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do there. In Jesus' name. At this time, the altars are going to be open. If you want somebody to pray with you specifically, please come. And the song is going to be sung over top of us.